0: We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. the 10th anniversary of a beauty spirituality book called Parasectomy. Of the I just want to note in light of all of the changes that have heard in the last 10 years, America and the world is fighting for a non-parasectomy, right? Because there's not just religiously transmitted diseases, there are politically transmitted diseases. Okay, and I think we've all experienced them, and here's, here's the, one of the chief symptoms we've been talking about is a lack of joy. I really believe the gospel is supposed to be good news, not mediocre news or not just news, you know what I'm saying? It's actually joy-filled news. When you understand the gospel, it's always accompanied with joy. Unfortunately, there's a lot of claims, truth claims, that are not accompanied by joy. And, and so that 's really what we 've been talking about and, and and so in the in the tenth anniversary edition there 's a couple new chapters that are, are i 'm kind of sneaking in there it 's kind of fun to be able to rewrite a book that you 've already written it 's awesome you know what i mean like i I, I love it because the you know the it 's never done right but i i I'm gonna give you a sneak peek of one of those new chapters today, and and really, it's actually quite simple. I'm actually gonna teach you three words that can change the entirety of your life, okay? What I'm about to teach you, these three words, can actually change the way you parent your kids, the way you disciple people. It can reinvent the way you do, like the way you think about politics, And by the end of today, some of you are gonna be like, man, I wish somebody would have told me that like 10 years ago, before I wrecked my reputation on social media, yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, I I wish somebody, and and if you're a note taker, write these down, because here's the three words, okay? The first word is power. The second word is authority. And the third word is permission. Power, authority, and permission. And these first two biblical words, we actually learn about them in Luke's gospel when Christ cast out a demon. And I'm going to read to you a quick story out of Luke 4, and I'll tell you. Now, I know that some of you, maybe you grew up in a form of Christianity that was maybe more of a a, a ritual. Uh, You came to a church service. Well, Okay, you have to understand the type of Christianity that Jesus advocated would cause demons to come out of people very regularly. In fact, he was known as a person who would cast out demons. If you if you read the Gospels, demonology was was one of the um, more fundamental aspects that accompanied the gospel. Okay, and I believe that's still true today. I think it's just that a lot of Christians they kind of deny it and they turn Christianity more into a ritual and more of a self-help thing. But I, I believe that there are real spiritual forces out there. And let me tell you, the first time you see a demon, it's gonna change the way you think about everything. You're gonna pray more, I'm just gonna tell you right now. But I, I, I want, this is, th- that same experience, I remember the first time I saw a deliverance, it so freaked me out, I didn't know what to think about. It. I didn't even know how to process it for, for weeks, for months. Because all of a sudden, it kind of shattered this, this careful religion, that I, this fragile approach to God that I had. And all of a sudden, once I actually believed in, in the reality of angels and demons, it changed me. And we're going to see that happen to Jesus' audience right here. And we're going to learn about power and authority in this verse. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice go away what do you want with us Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us I know who you are the holy one of God okay that would be a special service (laughs) I mean think about that okay like literally I'm like just Jesus is preaching right And then all of a sudden, go away, okay? If you've ever been in a church service where somebody disrupted the service, I've had it happen, you know, probably a half dozen times over the years. There's always an adrenaline rush with it, right? Right? And uh, I, I can, so just picture this, okay? Put yourself in this church, in this synagogue, when this is happening, okay? There's an adrenaline rush, and this guy is freaking out, Proclaim, you're the Holy One of God, you know, at the top of his lungs. And I love this. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. I think that's kind of an interesting little side note, without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. You have to understand that that demonology was actually practiced by the Pharisees, but they had very, very elaborate rituals and they would generally have to cast them out. They would actually cast them out in the name of Solomon and they had a couple other rituals that they would use to cast out demons. And so the fact that Jesus didn't follow the prescription this is also, this, that was one of the things that stood out to them is Jesus didn't even mess around with the whole ritual that they normally would do. He was just like, be quiet, come out. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's also what shocked them a little bit more, but I, I notice, notice, what is this teaching with what? Authority and power he gives orders. Okay, just note that, authority and power he gives orders. Now let's just jump ahead in Luke, Luke 9. Okay, so a couple chapters later, now he's he's demonstrated this to his disciples enough. Now he's going to send them out to do the same thing. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them what? Power and what? Authority. Power and authority to do what? To drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. It's just like getting out there, like let's kick some devil butt right now. You know what I'm saying? Let's just, I'm gonna give you two things. Power, I'm gonna give you authority. Now, notice those two words. Now, if you're out there and you're like, well, how are power and authority different? What is the definition of power versus authority? Well, let me, let me uh, explain it like this. Let's say you have a rental home. And uh, in your rental home, you lease it out to some, you know, what you thought was a delightful family. And then the next thing you know, they decide to turn your rental home into a drug lab. And they now barricade the doors with, you know, uh, an entire gang of people with assault rifles and prevent you from coming in. Now, you may have the legal authority to enter the home because it's yours, right? You own it, but you do not have the physical power to physically break, you know, make the strong man, step aside, break open the barricade. Okay, so power refers to physical ability. Authority refers to your legal ability. Does that make sense, everybody? And so Jesus, it's very important you understand because each of these statements, power and authority, they're very distinct. And, and that's, why the words, that's why the words are very deliberate every single time they're used throughout the Gospels, power and authority. And, and so the, the reason why this is important is because if you remember the Gospels after Christ died on the cross, no, notice what it says. After Christ died, Matthew 28, right? Building up to the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, all what? Authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Remember uh, when Jesus was being tempted in the desert? the, the, The devil was like, I can give all of this to you. I'll give you this authority. Jesus knew I'm gonna get authority either way. Okay, and I'm not gonna get it through worshiping you, Satan. I'm gonna get it through, through uh, staying in alignment with the Father. Okay, so all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, and then, of course, therefore, go, right? In other words, he purchased back officially once for all time, made sure that all of the powers and principalities of hell understand, I've got authority, therefore, go and make disciples, is the Great Commission. Yet, in Luke's gospel, okay, so then it, it keeps going on. What's interesting, so Acts 1 is basically Luke's gospel, okay, because Luke wrote it. It's like part one, part two, okay? Jesus, let me just point out one more time a, a unique word. Jesus says, okay, so he, he's resurrected from the dead. He's giving them the Great Commission, and uh, he's, you know, kind of hanging out for a, a you know, just floating around kind of before he ascends into heaven. Just watch this. Do not leave Jerusalem, he says, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. But you, so talking about the Holy Spirit, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, okay? So once again, power. We, we see, he, basically Jesus is saying, you do not wanna enter into the world. You don't wanna go out there and proclaim the gospel without power because then you're just gonna be a theory amidst theories. You're just gonna be another religion amidst religions. Let me tell you, if you go into a place, you cast out a demon, nobody in that room is gonna say, oh, that's an interesting religion, they're gonna be like, they're gonna have the fear of the Lord. It's gonna be an invasion of spiritual power. It's kind of like, I, I, I got to pray for a, a woman in Ghana, West Africa, and she received sight after I prayed for her. And, and it, it shocked me almost as much as it shocked her, okay? So I guarantee you, because I, you know, I was kind of a young rookie Christian. I didn't even fully know that God could do biblical miracles like that. And of course, she asked me to pray for her sight. And so I prayed for her sight. And boom, she got it, like freaked me out, right? Now, let me tell you, everybody in that little area was like, holy cow, that's power, okay? We, we saw a lot of people give their lives to Christ who witnessed that moment, including myself, even though I was already a Christian, let's be honest, Okay. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, like, wow, like, it's real, you know, like, yeah, that's what you just said it was, you know, like, you have to understand, that I think all of us, we kind of hang out in the shallow waters of Christianity, and then once we experience the true power of Christianity, it changes us again. I want to encourage you, those of you who are long-term Christians, to step into the power and yet Jesus said, I don't want you to go out into the world and try to be my witness until you have the power, which is like, wait, wait for it. Don't go out there until you get it, Acts 1-8. Don't go out there until you get it. Yeah, you have authority, but if you don't have power, you need both. You can't go and take over the strong man who's, who's squatted in your rental property and now it's a drug lab. You can't go in there without power. You're gonna get hurt, Devil's gonna kick your butt if you don't have power and authority. And of course, in Acts chapter two, that's what happened. The Holy Spirit fell in power, and that's where the unstoppable move of the Holy Spirit began in power and authority. Two things. Now, here's where things get really profound, okay? It's critical to understand that power and authority are not tools that we generally are supposed to use with people. Let me say that again. Power and authority are generally not tools that we are supposed to use with people. For the most part, Christ primarily used power and authority as tools of influence over evil spirits. Principalities and powers, okay? In other words, power and authority are containment tools, not conversion tools. They are tools of war. Containment tools versus conversion tools. And that's where I wanna uh, uh, introduce the third type of influence, the third word, permission, okay, permission. So power is like holding a gun to someone and say, do what I say. It's force. I'm gonna force you to do what I want authority uses legal fear, I'm gonna sue you, or if you think about um, authority as legalism, I'm going to shame you into doing something. I can't believe you did that, okay? It's finger pointing, it's, it, it's accusations, public accusations, okay? It, it's guilt, shame, condemnation. That's authority using legal fear. Um, it's another type of force, but it's a different type of force. Permission is what we call sacrifice or kindness. In other words, I am gonna provoke you to do what I say by servanthood. I'm gonna compel you to, to feel like I need to do what you say because of who you are and what you've done, okay? Does that make sense? Permission. It's a, these are forms of influence. Power, authority, permission. Okay, so like, let me give you an example of permission. Romans 2, 4, God's kindness leads us to repentance, the Bible says. What leads us to repentance? Kindness. The kindness of God. His death on a cross for us provokes us to repentance. Okay, so we don't wanna force people to repent, power. We don't wanna shame people to repent, authority. We, wanna, we want people to feel inspired to repent, okay? God wants people to voluntarily submit permission to his, his repentance that he has for us. Does that make sense? As one last example of this, let me show you one more verse, okay? Mark ten forty five. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Power, okay? He's saying this is the way the world works, The world is all obsessed with power. It's been that way since the beginning of sin. And the high officials exercise authority over them. Okay, so laws, if you think about it. So power and authority. That's how the world works. Power and authority. Not so with you. Instead... Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Okay, so in their minds, they're like, they're they're, they're expecting a Messiah who's gonna come in power and authority, and yeah, that's gonna happen on the second return of Christ, power and authority, okay? But the first coming of Christ is all about servanthood. It's about permission, okay? Do you see how this works? And he's saying, right now, you are in the era of permissive influence, and if whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He's giving us the definition of permission-based leadership. I am going to give my life as a ransom for you, and you are going to be compelled to surrender to the kingdom of heaven. That's how you want to become great? You you become the servant of all. In other words, I want you to use permission. I don't want you to be bossing people around. I don't want you to think for us. And they couldn't understand it yet because in their minds, they're thinking, no, the Messiah is going to be a military leader. He's going to come in power, which is true according to prophecy, but it's the second coming of Christ. No, this time, they, they, Jesus is trying to reorient them to what is happening on earth right now, okay? Sacrifice and kindness creates permission, and, and we might use power and authority over demons, but with right now, with people, we wanna convert them, not contain them. We want to influence them, not antagonize them. You can't antagonize and influence people at the same time, right? We wanna influence people, not incite them. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because 90%, I think, of what we all hate about politics, 90% of what we hate about politics and about social media, it's it's people using power and authority instead of permission, okay? It's kinda like the old saying is, when people try to change laws without changing hearts, it usually changes nothing. Why? Because it's using power. It's not a conversion tool. It's a coercion tool. We're not actually influencing. We're antagonizing people, okay? A lot of times, um, you know, you actually study history. It's actually kind of interesting. Most partisan laws get repealed And it creates insurgency. And so they, if you actually, what what actually lasts longest, whenever there's a bipartisan law, it usually lasts the longest, okay? You just study the history of movements, study the history of Cuba, study the history of Vietnam. You study the history of almost all these different countries. Every single time someone tried to legislate morality, what it did is it just created a pendulum where a lot of people died and a lot of people got hurt. And a lot of people experience death in its various forms, and then it just pendulum swings right back. You know what I'm saying? It was never, it was never stable. It was never constant. It never actually influenced and really changed the world. It did for a very temporary period of, t- of time, and then once people tasted the death of power and authority, they eventually said, no, thank you. Permission-based leadership is actually what changes hearts. And so, again, ironically, when when the world uses power and authority, it's actually, it's a short-term mode of influence, and it usually backfires, okay? It's the same thing you'll see with legalistic church movements. Legalistic church movements in church history, like Puritans, like we talk about this, you know, the book The Scarlet Letter, okay? Religious movements that were legalistic in its very nature, authority form of influence, Pharisaism was an authority, a legalistic movement. Um, you know, we, we heard mean-spirited, fire and brimstone preachers, and, and yeah, you know what? Shame and condemnation does motivate people temporarily, but you know what it also does? It turns people off to the gospel. You know what it also does? It turns ourselves off to to the gospel because after a while, you'll get so sick of feeling shame and condemnation all the time. You're like, maybe I'm not a good Christian. Maybe Christianity isn't real. Maybe this doesn't work. And then we actually pull away from it. Why? Because we actually didn't experience biblical Christianity, but a weird religiously transmitted diseased form of it. Are you hearing me? You see, I I, I noticed that's, that's why Romans 7 actually teaches that that power and authority, they lead to rebellion. That If you take that approach to the gospel, it will always lead to rebellion rather than transformation, but the, the, the law with the spirit of life in Christ Jesus will set you free, Romans 8, okay? It's why Jesus didn't take the path of the zealots, which was a power movement, and he didn't take the path of the Pharisees, which was a legalism movement. Why? Because he did not want to antagonize people. He wanted to influence people. It's a different mode. So then why... Do so many Christians and so many people turn to power and authority to get what they want? Well, for starters, it's all they know. They've been taught that way, right? They listen to news anchors who use constant power and authority arguments, or it's what their parents taught them. Or, you know what? It's actually, uh, for for other people, it's an influence shortcut. They know that it can actually influence people. I can shame people to do what they want, right? Think about it in a parenting context, okay? This'll help you, okay? If those of you with small kids, When kids are little, it's very, very easy to use power and authority arguments. Why? Because you're five times bigger than them. You can look down on them when you're big, right? And they're little. And they need you for everything. In other words, you have all the leverage, power, and authority. You're five times bigger, and they need you for everything. But right around 10 to 14 years old, what happens? There's a lot of things that happen. And I'm not going to explain all of them, but they start asking irritating questions. One of which is, why? Why do I have to mow the lawn? Why do I have to unload the dishwasher? Why, like last night I got in a fight with my son, why do I have to share my ice cream bars with dad? (laughs) Come on, you know what, do you know what I'm saying? You've been there. Right, and of course, everything in us as parents wants to say, because I said so, right? How many of you said it? Just admit it, right? It's an authority argument, because I am the authority of this house. I own this house. I own that refrigerator. I own the the money paid for the ice cream bars. The ice cream bars are mine. (laughs) You should ask me for your ice cream bars, because they're actually my ice cream bars. It's an authority argument. But but here's the thing, okay? As much as I want to use that argument with my son, and I did last night, but (laughs) what I'm saying is at some point, I do need to switch to a permission argument. Come on, look at your old dad. I love you, you need to share these things with your old dad, that's honor, you know what I'm saying, permission. And frankly, I should start switching to permission arguments with him, why? Because guess what, every year he gets older, the power differential shifts. My son's getting taller and taller and taller. He's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And if I teach my son to use power over Now, guess what he'll use on me when I'm old in a wheelchair? (laughs) That's scary, because you reap what you sow. You live by power and authority, your kids are gonna learn how to use it on you. So guess what? I wanna start switching to permission right now. And so the ultimate question is, how do we earn permission, okay? How do we use this new tool of influence? Because it's awkward. It's the, it's the thing that's irritate the very thing that is irritates parents of teenagers is actually the hardest thing when it comes to like politics and, and helping dealing with coworkers, okay? Because it requires a different type of influence and if you don't know how to flex this type of influence, you're always gonna struggle living in this world and being Christ-like, okay? It's one of my favorite illustrations for this is the story of a poor Belgian boy by the name of Joseph. He, back, in, back in the mid-1800s, you guys know me, I'm kinda into history, and back in the mid-1800s, there was this like, poor Catholic family in Belgium that had a lot of kids, and the seventh kid in this Catholic family was a, a young man by the name of Joseph. And of course, Joseph was not the smartest son. No one expected him to do anything great. He was, he was the underachiever in everything. He was terrible in school. And of course, you know, at one point, he applied to be a priest, and even the church, who was desperate at the time, was like, yeah, we love you, Joseph. No thank you. You're not cut out for this full-time ministry gig. In other words, the church rejected this this Joseph, and they were desperate, okay? So that was a pretty big deal. And he, he experienced rejection from the church. We just don't think you're a suitable candidate, Joseph. Just, but just keep serving. You know what I'm saying? Well, he kept applying, reapplying to the priesthood, reapplying, and every single time, I don't know, I don't know. Well, over time, the Belgian church got word that there was a huge outbreak of leprosy that was afflicting the islands of Hawaii, and of course, like most outbreaks, it caused a huge overreaction. Of course, we now know that leprosy, which is also called Hansen's disease, is actually really curable. But back then, they didn't know how to cure it. And, and, and even though now we know it's probably one of the least contagious of all communicable diseases, it's actually very difficult to contract leprosy. But back then, you know, they, they didn't see it that way. And it's kinda like COVID over the last couple of years. Once fear grips a culture, uh, people stop thinking statistically and they start thinking emotionally and that's what was happening in Hawaii. And so they, they so overreacted in Hawaii that they created leper colonies where people would be forced to die in poverty the moment they had any sort of leper, uh, leprous thing happen on their skin. And so they would, they would actually put people on this prison-like peninsula that, called Kalapapa that where, where they would die in poverty And uh, it was like a, it was a peninsula that had a cliff on three sides, and the only way down was by taking this like really, really steep uh, mule trail down a mountain cliff. And of course, the Catholic Church, um, they wanted to send someone to this leper colony, but who's going to go because it's a death sentence? In other words, they need someone. They thought, maybe let's pick someone who's already old and ready to die, and then we can just you know, send them there. Nobody wanted to go except for, guess who volunteered? Little Joseph. Maybe this is my chance to serve the body of Christ and I can become a priest. And they're like, huh, maybe Joseph is qualified. And so Joseph trained for the priesthood, took the long trip over the ocean, one way trip, down that mountain trail to never return to normal life. Why? Because it was a death sentence. He said, you know what? I would rather have a death sentence and be used for the gospel than live a convenient life. And so he, he got there. He went down that mountain trail, and guess what? He was shocked at what he saw. I mean, total poverty. He, he described it that it, 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 it w- was the worst landscape he had ever seen. Really, it kind of looked like the moon, right? It was lava, And this was not the Hawaii that you and I imagine, okay? This was filthy uh, huts on lava, sharp lava. And of course, there was a point where even Joseph thought, what did I get myself into, oh no. Yet he also knew, listen, if I don't show this colony the love of Jesus, I don't know who will. And so young Joseph rolled up his sleeves and he began serving the lepers of Kalapapa. And over time, Joseph built an amazing church there. He dug a reservoir for water with his own hands, which was very difficult on the lava. He started a school there. He built roads there. Basically, he laid out an entire city on this prison colony. And he decided, hey, if I'm gonna die of leprosy, then you know what? I'm gonna help them live with dignity, which is something that other people wouldn't give them. I'm gonna give people without dignity, dignity. Why? Because that's what Christ did. You wanna be great, you gotta be the servant of all. And the hardest part of giving people dignity was giving them a proper burial, and he personally constructed, with his bare hands, over 600 coffins for people that were doomed in this leper colony. And not surprisingly, he also dug 600 graves for the lepers. And sadly, a decade into his mission, he actually, it took a a full decade before he contracted leprosy. But he contracted the disease himself. And yet, get this, okay? When he he realized he finally got leprosy, he wasn't sad. Ironically, he was grateful. He finally got leprosy. And he even wrote a letter to his brother. Get this. He wrote a letter to his brother, almost celebrating it. He's like, I contracted leprosy, but I'm actually quite honored that God is allowing me to die of the same disease as my brothers and sisters. Think about that. Because to him, to Joseph, it was almost like God was giving him common ground with the people that he loved. It's like, now I even have greater influence. Now I even have greater common denominators. I can actually say, I know what it's like. Yeah, I know, it's really irritating. It really, really itches, or it's really, really whatever. You know, like he's able to say, you know, whatever. I don't know what lepers actually say, but you get the idea. He's got common ground with the people that he loved. And in fact, he saw that God was actually, he saw it as God giving him more influence to speak to people and evangelize the the leper colony. Well, four years later, when he finally passed away and went home to be with the Lord, the whole island knew this was a true man of God worth following, and of course, the islands of Hawaii were actually very convicted. You know what, they, people started to say, you know what, I don't think we responded well to the leprosy outbreak. I don't think that, they started to look, as history started, with each outbreak, they started looking back at their response to it all, and they were like, you know what, I don't think we responded very well, and Congress s- started a hospital to study the disease in 1909. In fact, it took until 1969 before Hawaii repealed their draconian laws um, about leprosy, and when all was said and done, Joseph was nominated for sainthood in the Catholic Church, and his day—the day of his death—is now a statewide holiday in Hawaii. It's very fascinating. It just so convicted all the—even the, the non-Christians on the island—and I, I, this is a picture of of Joseph from you know. Uh, he's now known as Father Damien of Molokai. And if you're interested, you can actually Google a little more about him, Father Damien of Molokai. It's a special day that they celebrate in Hawaii. And I love, love, you know, it's like that old statement that you've heard many times before. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They don't care about your politics. They don't care about what you think is the truth until they know how much you care. Everybody's got a truth claim. That doesn't mean it's true. Everybody's got passion. That doesn't make it true. That doesn't mean you're actually looking for my interests. Are you hearing me? In other words, if people, they're incapable of hearing truth if they have not figured out how it ministers to their self-interest. That's why the fastest way to earn permission is through sacrifice and kindness. You see, church, at the end of the day, truth will always take one of three vehicles. Power, authority, or permission. Truth will drive in one of three vehicles. Power is the one that runs on fear, coercion. Authority runs on shame and legalism, and, and it, it really, it's, it's threats, finger-pointing. Permission creates conviction, inspiration, and ultimately, submission. And so the question is not, do we have the truth? The question is, have we earned the right to share the truth through sacrificial love? Because the truth is, all non-believers are teachable to someone. The question is, are they teachable to us? Why or why not? Have we earned the right to speak it? I, I think there's, that's really one of the biggest problems in Christianity is we think that truth automatically makes us credible to share it. No, it doesn't. Servanthood does. Kindness leads to repentance. I I think one of, and and I know that I'm preaching to the choir for a lot of you. One of the reasons why I love this this church is because you guys are doing it in so many areas. I was just thinking about the fact that our church is now one of the top food distributors in Minnesota to, to disadvantaged people. Come on. It's you guys serving countless hours at Mana Market and love this city. You guys are earning the right to speak truth to power. Or I love the fact that our church is leading foster care in the state. Come on. You guys are earning the right through sacrifice and servanthood to speak truth to power. But you know what? I, we're just getting started up in here, church. Because I want to take over in other areas too. And, and the best part is we don't have to play the power games of the world in order to earn their permission and their surrender. And so let me end on a practical note. People ask me all the time, well, yeah, but Pastor Peter, I'm kind of desperate. People just don't seem to be listening to me. And so, you know, I I think when when we're feeling desperate, we start wanting to take shortcuts. My neighbors won't turn off their music at 2 a.m., right? How do I influence them? How do I influence my coworkers who are just, they feel like they're kind of conspiring against me? What do I do if my spouse just is not listening, my kids aren't responding? What do we do? Well, um, for those of you who have been at Substance for a while, you've heard of me uh, talk about something called the traffic light of influence, the traffic light of influence, and I I wanna show it to you if you, like if, if, uh, right here, traffic light of influence, okay? And, and if you're out there, basically what it is, it's a list of 17 different ways that you can influence a hopeless situation. And of course, if you're, if you're, if you're not at one of our physical locations, you can just, just hold your camera, your phone camera, up to the QR code on the screen, or just Google Peter Haas and traffic light and it'll show up, okay? Um, Google Peter Haas and Traffic Light, but really the idea behind this is 17 ways to influence a hopeless situation. If you think you've tried it all, I want you to read this, okay? So if you feel hopeless in a dead-end job, dead-end marriage, or, your, or like your parenting is not working, and you don't know how to get through to your child, I want you to read the traffic light of influence, okay? Because really what it is, is, is this was actually birthed out of many, many years of pastoral counseling. And uh, early, early on, I, I remember I would talk to a lot of parents who were hopeless about their kids, or, or people that were hopeless about their marriage, and they would always say the same thing, and it was this. Pastor Peter, I've tried everything. I heard that line so many times. I've tried everything. And of course, as I would listen to them talk, I would actually, what I learned over time is, no, you didn't try everything. You feel like you've tried everything, but really what you did was you tried the same three or four things over and 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 over again, and it's not working. So you haven't tried everything. You've just tried the same thing a million times, okay? But you haven't tried everything. And so what I would do is, and so then what would happen is they would get stuck in a depression loop which is what happens when you keep taking the same tactic and it's not working the same thing, the same way for you, okay? So your tactics have to change, your mode of influence has to change, and sometimes that's very, very uncomfortable because it's like learning a new dance, it's like learning a new hobby, it's like learning to talk differently, think differently, act differently, and it's hard, right? Because, come on, let's be honest, we don't like to change, do we? You know who you are. Right, and so the big idea behind the traffic light of influence is to help Christians discover healthier ways of influencing the world. And of course, these 17 options they're, they're not meant to be the exclusive, there's probably 90,000 options. I just picked 17, uh, just to help be helpful. And I, I put them into three categories, uh, like a stoplight green, yellow, and red. And the reason why it works like a stoplight is because the green light category, these are eight different inspirational forms of influence, permission-based influence. Things like prayer, things like servanthood, things like empathy, things like professional consultants. And a lot of people, though, the reason why it's so important is a lot of people, they jump immediately to yellow light forms of influence, okay, which are called crisis forms of influence. Things like confrontations. And let's be honest, confrontations can get a little sticky. It requires wisdom, it requires timing, it requires tact. And of course, when all else fails, once we've done everything, truly everything, there are rare moments where righteous people do need to escalate to red light forms of influence. Okay, call the media, sue the institution, public confrontations, boycotts, those types of things. I I don't think they're preferable, and, and here's why. The problem with red light forms of influence is they don't actually influence people. Let me say that again, they don't actually influence people. They are what I call coercion tactics rather than conversion tactics. Do you see the difference? Coercion versus conversion. It's containing evil versus transforming it. And there are rare moments when it is necessary to contain evil when we're not gonna be able to transform it, but you gotta remember these types of behaviors, these forms of influence always create collateral damage. And unfortunately, that's what's happening in our culture right now. The reason why the political dialogue has gotten so dysfunctional in our country, it's because we're no longer trying to influence each other, we're trying to coerce each other. We're just threatening each other. We're just finger pointing at each other. We're no longer actually influencing people. In fact, there was even a study on social media, the odds of influencing someone over social media. Now, nobody's listening anymore when it comes to that kind of stuff because they're already, they've already muted the people that don't agree with them. And so basically, everybody's getting a steady diet of people that agree with them and they just kind of psych each other up like, yeah, aren't they the enemy? In other words, we're, we're no longer influencing each other. We're, 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 all we're doing is propping up our own insecurities and our own self-esteem with people that agree with us, okay? So the, the problem is, is there's a few people in the middle who are actually winning people. Think about it. You see, the reason why these ideas are profound is we live in a diseased culture that automatically jumps to red light forms of influence as their default, and unfortunately, it's starting to infect the church again, causing us to actually start to live more like the Pharisees and the way that they influenced the world than, than Christ, who actually set the standard for us. Rather than being a last resort, they're now a starting point for many Christians, and as a result, you know what? We're, we're, trans, we're transmitting pain instead of transforming pain, and that's what I wanna rescue you from, is I wanna rescue you from a life of transmitting pain. And so that's why as one last scripture, and I'm gonna end with this. That's why Paul said it this way when he's talking about permission-based influence. For though we live in the world, We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. Talking about power and authority games. Um, In in other words, the the world is going to always turn to these things because that's all they have. It's It's like Peter on the night Jesus was betrayed. He turned to the sword and Jesus said, no, no, you live by the sword. You die by the sword. You live by carnal forms of influence, you're going to die by the same carnal forms of influence. No, we live by the power of God. Jesus said, don't you understand? I could just call my father in heaven. He would give me, you know, legions of angels, hundreds of thousands of angels. Come on. You don't need to sit there and like swing your sword. And yet that's what a lot of people look like right now. They're just like, ah, I'm desperate, I'm desperate. You don't understand, Peter. I've got to say this on Facebook. <laughs> no, you don't. You can call on your father in heaven and he will at once unleash <laughs> angels. Like what I mean, I'm just saying you don't understand your power. You see, the wep- we don't live with those weapons. And if you say that those weapons, I don't know if, I, if prayer is that powerful. I think, I think my social media page is more powerful than prayer. Okay, on the contrary, Paul says, they have, the, the, the weapons that we've got, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, power and authority. Some of you, You've been swinging your little pocket knife of influence thinking that somehow it's gonna just transform the world around you. Yeah, it's gonna cause everybody to say, that person's crazy. So today, what's the stronghold in your life? Just close your eyes, bow your heads. What's the stronghold in your life? I believe God wants to give you divine power to earn permission with the tough people in your life, your coworkers, your boss, your family members, your marriage. I believe that God wants to change your mode of influence, give you divine power. God's giving you a detailed strategy to turn your situation around right now. And listen, he's got grace, you guys. He's got grace to take you every step of the way, but it starts with these simple words. I trust you. I trust you. Father, we trust you that we will get power and authority over demons right here and now as we surrender to you. And even as we surrender to you, you're gonna give us permission, the the ability to earn permission, just like you did on the cross for us. And so, Father, right now, we speak to the principalities and powers that are afflicting the people out here today. Lord, let cancer disappear. Let oppression cease. Let families be reunited. Let marriages be rebirthed. Let desire for your word increase. And let governments be shaken in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you're here and you're new to this whole God thing, I just wanna say a, a simple little repeat after me prayer. Maybe you've never experienced true, the true power of Christianity. Christianity has just been a religion amidst religions. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to just break into your life right here through a simple prayer, and if that's something you're interested in, just more of his life, then just repeat this after me. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me starting today and for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, we pray. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. 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 With all that said, we're gonna have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're gonna go next. Love you guys. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com slash giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message.